0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Dr. Peter Craft, who is a professor of philosophy at Boston College and who is one of the most respected Christian authors of our time. His many best-selling books cover a vast array of topics in spirituality, theology, and philosophy. They include How to Be Holy, practical theology, back to virtue, because God is real, you can understand the Bible, and so many more. With Dr. Peter Kreeft, we go inside the pages of Wisdom from the Psalms, published by Ignatius Press. Dr. Kreeft, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: You know, over the years, I've had a real blessed opportunity to talk about so many of your books with you. But I have to tell you, I think the wisdom from the Psalms has become my favorite, especially during this particular period of my life. I am so grateful. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. I'm not surprised. The Psalms are almost everybody's favorite. They're God's own inspired prayer book.
0: There's something about it. I've heard that the Psalms can help us to learn how to pray. But i found, especially after reading your book, in a very real way, we learn a lot about God, don't we, in in just reading the Psalms?
1: We do. That's why the Psalms are classified in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. First books, about the first third are the historical books, then come the wisdom books, from Job through uh, Song of Songs, and then the prophetic books. Uh, The Psalms are a kind of philosophy, as well as uh, poetry and uh, uh, song and prayers.
0: You say in the introduction to the book that the Psalms are actually have become for you a, a preferred way of praying in some ways, even before the other wonderful traditional type of prayers that we have in our faith.
1: When our Lord himself was asked by his disciples to teach us to pray, he didn't give us methods. If you look at uh, the writings of the saints, they uh, they say, well, methods can be helpful, but uh, they're not as important as we think they are. Uh, he gave us a prayer, an ideal prayer. And uh, when God inspired uh, 150 prayers that have been used by his people, Jewish and Christian, for thousands of years, uh, he didn't give us a method of praying. He gave us actual prayers, concrete models of
0: prayer. What I love so much about the book is that you are taking us through the prayers of the Psalms in a way that is—I I want to say unique—but it is. I mean, it's you're pondering, it's you're contemplating in a real way each of the verses. Because you—you you said you didn't—you made a point of not looking up other forms of exegesis, as as it were, mm-hmm. to try to uh, teach. You're you're more sharing, it's aren't you? Not a,
1: it's not a scholarly book. a place for that. Objective and scientific and accurate scholarship is a matter of the unprejudiced, open-minded head. But this book is a matter of the heart. I love the Psalms and God loves me through the Psalms. So this is more a labor of love than a labor of scholarship.
0: Mm. Well, it comes across on every page, I have to tell you. I mean, the book, I haven't had it very long, but it's already, the spine is broken, pages are marked, things are underlined. (laughs) I think it's... That's
1: good. <laughs> Beloved books should be bent, stabled, and
0: mutilated. Well, it is. <laughs> it should it, it, come out. I should I should put a picture up so people can see it. But it's only because you stop and you help us to appreciate almost every verse in itself as a gift. There's
1: so much there. Uh, it's, uh, the, the songs are like the ocean. Uh, the surface is very clear, and uh, the main meaning is, is quite obvious. A child can understand it. Uh, And yet when you go down, you find all sorts of strange creatures and wonderful things living there. So this is kind of deep-sea diving into the Psalms.
0: Deep-sea diving, I love it. Uh, Deep-heart diving, maybe.
1: The heart, by the way, has has a number of meanings. One of them is the intuitive mind, what you just see with your whole self rather than figure out with your reason. But it also means the source of love. Mm. So the head and the heart get together when you read the Psalms.
0: Oh, I love that. In a very real way, it is, it's a sharing of love. God is love, and he's sharing a very, many aspects of himself through the scriptures, doesn't he?
1: Yes, he does that through everything. Uh, since the entire universe uh, is God's art, uh, and he's the artist, we, we learn something about the artist through everything that happens in his art. But these these are special. These are direct communications, so to speak. Uh, prayer is is very simple. It's just practicing God's presence and and listening to Him and and talking to Him. That's what the Psalms are—dialog, much more interesting than monologue.
0: Yeah, and it's not easy to pray, is it? No,
1: no, it's a battle. It's it's part of spiritual warfare. It's not easy to be good. It's not easy to be wise. It's not easy to to live. These are all. Uh, in peril in a fallen world. So uh, we have to be happy warriors. Uh, Prayer is not going to just happen like breathing. It's something you you do. In fact, the the single most important method of prayer is just do it. Mm. How you do it is secondary. That you do it is the most important thing.
0: Now that's wisdom. And that engagement with God, I, I think, especially through the Psalms, I'm so glad you brought Psalm number one, we do a deeper dive past the very opening, the very first prayer. It was placed there for a reason to kind of orientate us towards him.
1: Yes. It's like the front door. Uh, You enter a whole house once you go through the front door. It frames uh, all of the Psalms and it frames all of life in terms of, of two options. uh, A yes or a no to God running towards him or running away from him. Mm. And that's the essence of, of life. That's uh, the choice between good and bad. It's, It's so simple that we get bored with it and we look to some other things that are supposedly more profound, but they're less profound. The Mm -hmm. goodness of goodness and the badness of badness, the two ways. That's what life is.
0: That's why I love this book so much, The Wisdom from the Psalms, because you slow us down. Even that first verse, you could almost miss it. You could almost bunch it all into a hole. The the ungodly, the sinners, the scornful— but they demand from us an examination of all three, don't they?
1: Life is is divided into sitting, walking, and standing, uh, and so is this psalm. Uh, But life, more fundamentally, is divided into moving towards God or away from God, towards blessedness or towards misery. Uh, And that's the the message of, of, of the entire Bible. Everybody wants goodness, blessedness, happiness. We're a God-shaped vacuum, and nothing fills that vacuum except God himself. And the people who wrote the Psalms learned that by experience, and we can learn the same thing by the same experience by reading and praying the Psalms.
0: I think it's important, especially as you bring forward in the book, that blessedness and happiness can be confused sometimes, because we can be happy, as you say, with our sins. That doesn't mean we're blessed by our sins.
1: Well, the word, the word happiness is really a kind of a shallow word. It comes from the old English, hap, which means chance. Mm. So it suggests that uh, you're happy by chance, not by your own efforts or by divine design. If you win the lottery, you're happy. Well, it's a very shallow notion. Blessedness is a much deeper word than that. We can be blessed even in our sufferings if we learn wisdom and piety from them. The psalms are not romantic and escapist and say everything's going to be all right. In fact, they're full of struggle and spiritual warfare, but, but that's blessed. That's, that's the best thing that God could possibly design for us.
0: Key for us to remember in a very real way, and it's not just for religious; it's for the whole church in the liturgy of the hours, the divine office. We are immersed in that wisdom in those psalms, aren't we?
1: Yes, and the liturgy shapes us. The liturgy is like the, uh, a sculptor's tool. Uh, We did not design the liturgy. God designed the liturgy for us. Human beings as his instruments. And they don't merely express what is in us. They do that too. Liturgy are are kind of happy purgatory, where we uh, cast off our foolish and bad habits and and spontaneously acquire good ones.
0: I wished, especially during these days, of such anxiety and fear and just the struggle that we're having, not only as individuals, but also as a country, if we could just dive into that rhythm of entering into that office, even if it's just in the morning and the evening, don't you think?
1: I think all ages are ages of, of some sort of struggle or crisis. Ours is somewhat different and somewhat the same from, from that of our ancestors. But the Psalms are for all ages, all cultures, all situations. There's, there's nothing that the Psalms don't apply to including our own unique uh, struggles today.
0: We've just been talking about the very first psalm, which just happens to be the very first psalm in your book, Psalm number one. How did you go about just choosing from the 150? Because they're not all in here, but a lot of them are the classics. But how did you go about choosing those?
1: Well, I didn't have a method. I didn't set out to say, Okay, I'm going to write a book about the Psalms. Which Psalms shall they be? Well, what would people want? What are people's needs? Let me fulfill it. That's a perfectly legitimate way of proceeding, but that's not how I work. I say to myself, I'm I'm in love with these Psalms, and I'm going to share my love. Here are twelve love of my favorite songs. Are they your favorites, too? I'll bet they are. And I think I've picked out 12 that uh, most people would say they're among their favorites also. It's a discernment of love rather than cleverness.
0: Well, I think that your discernment of love, you really hit it, especially the second one, Psalm 23. I don't care who you are. You may not even be a Christian, but they probably have heard, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23 is a classic, yeah. isn't
1: it? It is a classic. I remember an old B-grade science fiction movie about uh, the end of the world, and it ended with a whimper when uh, light and heat just disappeared, and there was no survival uh, and people gathered, I think it was in some large stadium, maybe Yankee Stadium in New York, 70,000 people, and a preacher simply recited the 23rd Psalm, and the riots stopped, and people uh, were calm. These words have a kind of magic in them. Even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil if you know that God is your shepherd. And the amazing thing about the 23rd Psalm is the very first verse, it's the Lord who is my shepherd. It's not just an ordinary human shepherd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the omnipotent creator of heaven and earth that is stooping down to take care of your stupid sheep. The steeper, sheep are very stupid and stubborn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, thank God God has great patience with his severely brain damaged children.
0: If you bring out one of my favorite quotes from St. Catherine of Siena when he says to her, I'm God and you're not. Those are the two things we need
1: most to learn, aren't they? And yep. we keep forgetting that second thing.
0: We want to control. We want things. But often we don't realize what we really should want. It's an act of our will. We want his will. We want to follow yep. him. But we get confused, don't we?
1: One of my favorite activities, my favorite sports is surf, because I think that uh, if you just follow the wave and let that great immense force carry you, Uh, you find a deep happiness. So I think in heaven we're all going to surf on God. We're not going to be in control. We're not going to conquer things. We're just going to paint with the grain. And if the grain is God, it's perfect.
0: With this one, you take in every beautiful line, almost. They're all a deep well. I don't mean to get so metaphorical, but you just can't get enough from each of those lines from that beautiful psalm.
1: Yeah, that's true of most of the psalms. The more you repeat them, the more they open to you, their depth. There's always more suggested in God's Word than, than you expect. There's actually only three philosophies of life. The best one is the one that Shakespeare puts into the mouth of Hamlet when horatio sees hamlet's father's ghost and he doesn't know what to believe because he didn't believe in ghosts and hamlet says horatio there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your philosophies and that's the philosophy behind the psalms the other two are there are fewer things in heaven and earth there's there's much less there than it seems Hmm. and the third is well there's exactly there what it seems we're we're experts we know it all those Hmm. are both foolish philosophies but the wise one is there's always more because it's god's world
0: so much bigger, isn't he? We lose a sense of that when we think, oh, we understand it all now.
1: J.B. Phillips wrote a book with a great title, Your God is Too Small.
0: Mm-hmm. And that yep. applies
1: to all of us. We're all going to be surprised in heaven. Whenever God appears in the Bible, he surprises people. He mm-hmm. never fits into our little boxes of expectations.
0: That's true. The thing about this Psalm 23, too, it, it approaches something that we we don't like to talk about, we don't want to talk about the shadow of death. It's our greatest fear. It gently leads us to our greatest fear.
1: We seem to lose everything in death. You can imagine getting back whatever you lose before death, but, uh, but in death you lose it all. But if that's framed by faith in God who loves us, then that changes the meaning of death. Death becomes like the golden chariot that the prince uses to fetch Cinderella uh, and bring her to her castle. Mm. It looks dark from this side, but from the other side, it's, it's the passage to light.
0: It's a wonderful reminder there's so much more. Ultimately, is that a prayer of trust, isn't it?
1: Yes. Trust is even more than faith because it, it has that personal dimension. You, you, you trust someone with your whole heart. That's really the meaning of faith, too, but sometimes people reduce faith to belief or, or intellectual opinion. Yeah, I can't prove it, but I believe it. Well, that's, that's only a small part of faith. The church is is God's first supernatural bank and trust company. <laughs> we, we, trust, we trust all our wealth. Same.
0: Yeah, sometimes the individual tellers might have some issues, but the riches with contained in the safe are still the riches within the safe, isn't it?
1: Very good, very good. Yes, yes, the bank is more than its sellers.
0: Yep, there we go. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. tune in and so many more and did you know that discerning hearts also has the youtube page be sure to check out all these different places where you can find discerning hearts a prayer of saint ignatius of loyola
1: take lord and receive all my liberty my memory my understanding and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your
0: love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. We now return to Inside the Pages. Dr. Crafter, I think it's one of those things with the Psalms that even though it's contained in the wisdom books, the Psalms themselves are not divided up into here are the songs of praise, here are the Psalms of mercy, and so many other things. They're not categorized. They're just put in there in no particular order, aren't they?
1: Well, it's a deliberately random order. It's like life itself, philosopher. And I like logic, and I like to classify things. And it used to bother me that the Psalms were not classified. I said to myself, if I were God, I would have them arranged in a much more logical order. And then Mm. I realized that 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 would make it unlike life. Mm. So you you just bump up against surprisingly wonderful and surprisingly scary things uh, every day. Mm. And you do that with the Psalms. So you can go through the Psalms in any order at all, but it's perfectly all right to just go through them in numerical order mm-hmm. because that's uh, that's the way they have been ordered.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that has been surprising to me. You get Bibles with multiple ribbons, but I always have the one right there for the Psalms, and you'll open it up and you'll find something that you didn't expect. It's always a lovely surprise sometimes when you're reading them. And then there are other times when it's just like, what? It doesn't really speak to me today. That's okay, too, isn't it?
1: That's okay, too, because um, if you're feeling sad and you're looking for a sad psalm and you hit upon a glad one, well, that uh, is what you need. And if you're feeling glad, that's fine, but uh, you're forgetting about uh, the sad stuff and then you hit on a sad psalm and you say, oh, gee, those those are two halves of the same coin. It reminds you.
0: One of the other psalms that you bring forward in the book that I think is really, really important is 51. I remember I had um, been working as a liturgist at a particular parish, very large one, and the pastor for the very first first reconciliation service wanted the second graders to read Psalm 51. And one of the mothers said, oh, this is too much. And the pastor said, you can never be too young to begin to really know this psalm. He'll need it for the rest of his life. And I thought that was very profound.
1: I thought that was very profound, too, yes. Uh, the liturgy is not something that we invented and express. It, uh, it forms us, and, and especially the Psalms, which have a kind of priority place in the liturgy. They, they form you at a very early age, even if you don't fully understand it. Uh, it sinks in your in your memory, and, and later you, you do understand more of it. Psalm 51 is the sinner's psalm, Mm-hmm. And we're all sinners. All the saints are very strong on the fact that they're sinners, and it's only the sinners who think that they're saints. So this is uh, the favorite psalm of the saints.
0: There's something about that in that you realize your your sinfulness, but then there's that act of turning over. I mean, you've written a book about abandonment to divine providence, to, to giving up everything so that he can take over everything, and, and that's a difficult thing, but it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me.
1: That word create is a, is a wonderful word. In fact, it exists in only one ancient language, Hebrew. The word is barach. And no other culture had that notion of a God who could create out of nothing. Mm. Uh, in fact, there was a Jewish philosopher, Philo, who uh, uh, I think in the first century went to uh, Athens to study with the philosophers And he explained to them about the perfections of God, and the philosophers, many of them, were were very respectful. And then he said, and our God created the entire universe out of nothing, and they all lost respect for him. That's impossible, though God can. Ours can. A a clean heart. That's that's an act that only God can do.
0: Mm -hmm. God,
1: God can change your heart. God is the doctor who can perform heart surgery.
0: Yeah, isn't that incredible? And when he does heart surgery, when we say yes, he places something in there. He doesn't just take something out. He also he fills it, doesn't he?
1: Yes, he does. And to extend the metaphor, in order to do that, he anesthetized. And that's part of the strategy of suffering. Mm-hmm. And I suppose death is the supreme anesthesia so mm-hmm. that God can get into the, the depths of our heart and, and totally transform us from within. Wow. Because if he, if he didn't anesthetize us, we would play God and we would uh, uh, talk back to the surgeon and advise him what to do and what not to do. We'd, we'd hop around doing our own operation, and that wouldn't work.
0: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I've done it for years where I begin to tell God, okay, help me. Can you do this, this, and this? And it would be like me going to the doctor saying, I have this illness, but I need you to do this, this, and this. Like somehow I'm the <laughs> physician.
1: And paradoxically, when you give that up and you say your will be done, uh, God doesn't render you passive. He says, okay, now this is what you have to do. Mm. Uh, That receptivity to God is an act of receptivity. It's not passive.
0: Yeah, I think that that growing in trust, I think that's why Psalm 139 is so many of the retreats that I've gone on. I've been given that psalm as the very beginning, Psalm 139, just to remind me that he knows me better than I know myself. That's
1: primordial. That's foundational, because if you don't love truth, you don't want to stand in God's truth. If you're trying to compromise that or run away from that or, or do a little dance around that, well, God can't perform an operation on you unless you're open, uh, unless you're in the light. So that uh, fact that God has searched us and known us, our good and our evil, our ups and our downs, I think almost always have a double reaction to that. Hopefully your primary reaction is, good, God, I want you to see everything. I want to stand in your lap. I want to be totally naked before you. I don't want to hide at all. But there's something in us that does want to hide and wants to compromise. And which of those two desires wins out? But Psalm 139 begins with the exact opposite. Preferring of light to darkness. Not just a preferring, a, a fanatical absolute love of truth. So we have to be Uncompromising and fanatical about those two things, their divine attributes. And 139 is truth. See this being of light, who is clearly God. And they always say the same two things. Streaming from this being of light came two things, and one was knowledge. He knew everything, and the other was love, absolute knowledge and absolute
0: love. Yeah, isn't that something? That in those experiences, that light and love are connected. And it's not a light that blinds. It's a light that reveals.
1: Yes, it heals us. And to quote this uh, this atheist again, Sartre, his most famous play, No Exit, is about uh, the supposed impossibility of, of having both truth and love. It's about three people who are in hell, and it's a hell without demons or torturers. They torture each other simply by knowing each other. According to Sartre, the only way we can love somebody else uh, is not to know them, because to know is to despise and to and to judge and and not to love. Them. I say hell.
0: I've heard it described by some that the experience of hell could be attributed to a lack of presence. There's something comforting in knowing, even if you're all by yourself, that there's someone else there. There's a comfort, even if you're in a room with people you don't like. In hell, the lack of presence would be the ultimate, to know that you're totally isolated and and removed.
1: That would be the appropriate punishment and consummation of of the sin of egotism or selfishness. I think the song everybody sings as they enter hell is Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way.
0: Yeah, that's not a great psalm, is it? (laughs)
1: No.
0: (laughs) Not a great psalm at all. There's a
1: lot of great music put to bad lines. John Lennon's Imagine is another Good example of great music and horrible lyrics.
0: Oh, yeah. And then what was the one that came out a few years ago by Bette Midler? God is watching us from a distance. People are just like, oh, I love that. Michael, you really love that song? Really? You, God is watching us from a distance. So often in the Psalms, the different expressions that are being brought forward in the psalmist in that song is a praise. As you said, there are like, Maybe three types of prayers. We're praying because we need something, we're hurt. But a lot of times we don't pray just to praise him, to say thank you, to talk about his glory.
1: That's everywhere. Mm. Even, even a psalm like Psalm 22, mm-hmm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, it ends on a note of, of trusting praise. Faith can praise God even in the darkness, even in the valley of the shadow of death.
0: I was just so happy when you brought forward Psalm 27 to the Lord is my light and my salvation. If I could have a license plate with a psalm on it, that would be at Psalm 27. It brings it all, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And my favorite word in that first line is the word is. Mm. Whether you feel it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, the Lord is in fact your light and your salvation. You can't change that.
0: Even when we were talking the earlier prayer, 139, it's all about humility, isn't it? We bring forward St. Bernard that it's all about humility, 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 an awareness of who we are and who we're not, and that's okay, and that's, that's a good thing. And you were talking about the atheists and satra, there was no humility there, is there?
1: Augustine asked to name the four cardinal virtues, that humility, 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 and humility. But most people misunderstand that virtue. They think it's having a low opinion of yourself. It isn't thinking about yourself at all, but standing in the presence of God. If you practice God's presence, you have to be humble. That's like you're in the middle of a a hurricane. You can't think that that's a a little drop of water. It's much bigger than you are. In fact, that's the essence of prayer, and that's, that's what pervades every single line of every single psalm, God's presence. He's real. He's here.
0: Yeah, and it's important to remember that. I have to bring this forward, because when I had gotten your book, and I really started really diving it, it, at the same time, I had tested, my entire family tested positive for COVID-19. The blessing was that we were all together, but it, it had been the most difficult four-week time period in my adult life, I think, because we all had suffered different aspects of this particular illness, and it's scary. And there was one week where it was the second week, particularly for me, my whole family was going through a lot of stuff, and I kept going back into the Psalms, I, and I did go back into your book over and over again, <laughs> Dr. Crave, because I had to remind myself that I'm not alone, do not be afraid, do not listen to what the voices inside your head are saying or the voices outside your being are saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation, I whom shall I fear?
1: What we know by faith is so much stronger than what we feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Another thing that the saints uh, surprisingly say is feelings are much less important than we think. Yes. Uh, if we have faith, we, we have an anchor that goes below the turbulence of feelings. So even when you're sick and depressed and everybody around you is suffering, you certainly don't feel that the Lord is your shepherd and you don't feel that you're in the light, but you know that
0: you are. That's it. There are moments you're not feeling it. And there's a fear that wants to, it is coming at you from all different corners and you have to just hunker into your will that I know, I know he's there. I have faith. I, I remember the past times. I remember those moments where he's been present I learned to remember and to recall because the Psalms taught me to do that, too. To go back and you just hold on and you wait unto the Lord. You wait. He's coming.
1: The devil loves to manipulate our fears. He can get into our emotions. He can't get into our will or or our mind or or our faith. He can certainly raise waves on the surface of our soul. Uh, So we have to have that anchor that is a lot deeper than that.
0: And the Psalms recognize the enemy they bring forward the enemy that will constantly assail us and those who will betray us and the times, whatever they may be, as you said. And yet our souls long for that still water, don't they? It acknowledges that and encourages us.
1: Even in the midst of our spiritual warfare, we we can have peace if we know we're fighting a good fight. Mm. Uh, That word "enemies" is used surprisingly often in the Psalms. And probably the psalmist who who wrote, especially David, had in mind human enemies, physical warfare, but all the saints tell us that that applies to us, too, because we're all involved in spiritual warfare. We really do have enemies, these evil spirits that tempt us all the time, so we have to be merciless to them. Mm -hmm. We have to say about them what the psalmist at the end of... Psalm 137 says about the Babylonian babies, blessed be he who smashes your brains out against the curbstone. What? <laughs> Real babies? No, baby thoughts, baby temptations. Mm. Have, have no mercy on them.
0: Yeah, it continually asks that question from Psalm 42, doesn't it? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope.
1: That's the wonderful thing there. The psalmist is... is Dialoguing with his own soul, mm. and his wiser self is telling his more foolish self, "Quiet down," <laughs> uh, like Jesus stilling the storm on the Sea of Galilee, uh, as if it was a puppy, "Down, boy," and the storm kneels.
0: Yeah, that's it. As you just said, we let our feelings run away with us, don't we?
1: Yeah, I love that uh, image from a, a Chinese Christian mystic. I think it was Watchman Nee. He says, Imagine three men walking along a wall. The first is fact, truth. The second is faith. The third is feeling. And as long as they each keep their eyes forward, uh, they walk along the wall. But uh, at one point in their walk, Faith uh, worries about feeling and takes his eyes off of fact and turns around and wonders how feeling is doing. And both he and feeling fall off the wall. But Mm -hmm. fact never does.
0: Throughout the book, I think you've helped us, too in our grappling with the idea of judgment and recognizing sin as sin and how we're not supposed to judge others, but we're supposed to judge sin. And unless we grapple with that, we're not going to know it, will we?
1: No. You you know things by interacting with them, by activity. And that's true, both sin and virtue. Although that knowledge is different too, because it's the the wise and virtuous who know folly and sin better than the foolish and sinful do, just as it's sober people who know what drunkenness is in a better way than drunks do.
0: It's very true. Just as the the very first psalm is important for us to really <laughs> gets the doorway, how would you classify Psalm one fifty then?
1: That's the conclusion. That's the golden castle at the end of the road. Uh, The psalmist calls upon everything, both in nature and in art, both outside of and inside of human activity, everything, all all human instruments and all things in nature, uh, to praise God. And the very last line is, everything that breathes, praise the Lord. Everything that has any kind of existence at all, praises God. That's the vision we will see concretely in heaven, but we can begin to live in it and believe it here on earth.
0: And it's not so long. It could be easily memorized, don't you think?
1: Oh, it's only a few verses, yes, like Psalm 1. Some of the best uh, things we can possibly say are very short. Spirit the Lord's indeed. Prayer is very short.
0: Dr. Craft, again, I can't thank you enough, both for everybody out there, but also for me personally, for the wisdom from the Psalms. Absolutely a wonderful book. I wish I had more time with you. I could go through so many more. But any final thoughts?
1: If you want to get the most out of the Psalms, come with a humble attitude, be ready to learn. Uh, We are all dwarfs standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, We can see even farther than they, but only if we are humble enough to jump on their shoulders.
0: Beautiful. Dr. Peter Kraff, thank you once again.
1: You're very welcome. God bless you and your work.
0: With Dr. Peter Kraff, we've gone inside the pages of Wisdom from the Psalms. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerning hearts. And join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.